Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's January 5th, 2018. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long's nasal cavity. <laughs> Your old factory's failing you. <laughs> It's usually your case. Usually you're all there, oh, man, I'm sick. I've been, I've been sick. Oh, I'm always sick. Man. I know. So they're like rolling my eyes. Come on, no one can be that sick. And then today, of course, I wake up and uh, I'm not sick. It's a big difference. It's allergies. <laughs> Keep telling yourself uh, that. A little power pill didn't work as quickly as it should have. So I will uh, try to enunciate even better than I normally do because people know that I enunciate so well. I would contend that you're sick of your cats. <laughs> or you're sick of their dander, or you're sick of the pollen. So I would say you're still sick. Well, I'm definitely sick of the head. So, hey, uh, I'm surprised we don't see more of this this story we're about to talk about t- talk about today. It, it's really shocking that to me that that you don't see more people doing this. To be honest with you, and it, anyway, it, it was a big story this week, and it was funny. Our our, our good friend Malcolm O'Malley sort of messaged both of us at the same time and said, "Have you seen this?" And we would have seen it eventually, but we both pretty much learned about this at the right at the right time, the same time. And uh, everyone knows who Vanessa Selbst is. She's easily one of poker's most aggressive players. And uh, she announced that she's giving up poker to become a hedge fund trader and will no longer be part of Team Poker Stars. She said the time required now to keep up with the changing game, the toll of constant travel was having on her, and that she's no longer believes amateurs can be online poker all contributed to her decision. Did you read the story like all the way through? I did. I did. And I found it... One of the things that I, I thought was interesting was, maybe just I don't know if it was ironic or contradictory, but she said, oh, poker is getting to be too much like work. Yeah. And then later on she says, being a hedge fund trader is so hard. hard. It's such <laughs> difficult work. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, let's see. So you're already sick of being a hedge fund trainer then? Because it's like work, and you give up poker for work. But I think a lot of the other things had to do with it, too, probably more than the it got to be like work. It's just funny that she said that almost in the same breath. Yeah, well, it, it, I know what you're getting at, but I, I also could kind of see the difference there. I think part of poker is, uh, you know, a lot of your time is obviously at the table. Yeah. Um, studying players and getting reads on them on that, plus all the travel that she did mention was the travel, where you don't have that as a as a hedge fund. I mean, you could essentially do that in front of your computer all the time, and uh, not that you don't have to keep learning, because obviously you have to keep learning and doing research. But uh, I don't, I, I would not argue. I would argue that it's less tedious than educating yourself in poker. Yeah, maybe so, she should have said less work. Poker's so tedious. 
<laughs> and then hedge fund trading is so hard. Then I would have been like, oh yeah, well that. Yeah. But um, and well, to your, I, to your original question though, because I, I think that's a good question to talk about here, is that why we don't see this more often. I mean, obviously, I'm not encouraging this to happen more often because we like. Uh, uh, personalities that make people interested in poker stay in poker rather than out of poker, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think to the degree that we have seen it, it's because we've seen people that have passions outside poker or find whatever it is that they uh, they loved about poker elsewhere. Right. And so I think the, the ones that we don't see do this are the ones that – uh, have just focused 100% on poker their entire careers and have no other interests, no other ways of doing things other than probably making poor investments in friends' uh, stupid business plans, right? Yeah. Uh, um, so if you don't have another option, I mean, there's no... It's tougher to quit what, you, what you're doing now, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a big part of it. Um, and I had another wonderful thought, but I'm so sick I forgot now. Well, so you know, one of the as you keep talking. One of the players that had done this in the past was uh, Joe Seabock. You right. know, he was, he was pretty much uh, in the shadow of uh, Barry Greenstein and had some of his own successes, but really got really popular because of all the shows and the funny things he did with like Gavin Smith and those guys, Joe. And so, you know, and then when he pretty much gave up poker, he went to do some sort of wine thing or I don't know, it was in the Napa Valley or something. But I mean, that's like one of the cases that comes up that that's how few and far between they are. It's like how many, a lot of them may fade away, you know, or you just don't know about them. I mean, when was the last time? Right. They just drum out of poker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're not consciously saying I'm leaving and starting something else. And, um, well, I, I think the other part of it too that I just remember now is the fame part of it, right? The, yeah. the right. So if you are not in this for the ego, and I'll admit I'm not a Vanessa Selves fan. I, I did not. I lost a lot of respect for her when she uh, trashed our good friends at Deep Stack Charity Poker on Twitter um, unnecessarily, I think. But uh, but I will say that I, I I never she never struck me as an ego player, right? Yeah. Other players of the game that that just feed off that fame and that um, celebrity. So she wasn't one of those, so I, I could see her easily walking away from it and becoming an anonymous hedge, hedge fund trader and not having much effect on her life, right? Yeah. But if you're like, like let's say, a Phil Hellbuth or somebody like that, or uh, the, the next person we'll be talking about on the show, Daniel Negrato, I, I think that's really difficult when you're used to being that personality, having people talk about you all the time, uh, see you all the time, all that kind of stuff, and then to go to an anonymous career that can't replicate that. That would be difficult, I think. And the other thing, too, is she's not giving up poker. She's giving up being a professional poker That's player, true. and she's not working for Team That's Poker Stars anymore. So she's still going to keep that. And she says it in the story, too, an awesome hobby on the side where she could still go down to the local casino and, and make you know six grand that night just fooling around in a 2-5 game or something, you know, and then or whatever she wants to do with bigger stakes. But not having the pressure of having to do that. Yeah, exactly. Because hedge fund again, traders. It could be more fun. We talk about this too. I mean, if you be, one of the reasons that I would never want to be a poker pro is because I would hate poker within a, four months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I have to play it all the time, I would. So, uh, you know, maybe th- this is a way to get back to what we all, how we all got into the game. I don't think anybody got into the game because, oh my gosh, I need to pay my bills this month, so... Uh, I'm going to learn to play poker. <laughs> you know, we all got into because like, wow, this game looks fun, and then we got into it, and it became fun. If we got really serious, then we said, hey, maybe I can do this for a living. So that that's the next step too. Yeah, so exactly. I want to make that 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 crossover as our um, 
our strategy columnist Brent Philbin says your life changes and you have to be able to change with it. And if you can't change with it, then it's you run the risk of it not being fun anymore. Yeah, once you flip that switch, if you're still not if you're not enjoying it, they always say, "Oh, do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life." Yeah, well, try doing it twenty four seven and see if you still <laughs> love doing what you love doing. You know, it's like sports. All those years I did sports, I thought, "Well, I really know sports. I'm pretty good at it. Maybe I should write about it." And it'd be great. I'll love it. And well, I got burnt out after like three years and ended up doing it for 20. You know, yeah, it's just crazy. Absolutely. You'd be surprised how much sports I don't watch now. Oh, yeah. You know, I used, when I used to be a sports writer, that was the coolest thing. And then I got to the point, I'm like, man, I cannot turn on the TV on Sunday. Yeah. Because <laughs> I spent all week dealing with it. And now that I'm not doing it, then it's fun again. So, yeah. So I, I certainly understand that as well, too. Yeah. So. But uh, one, one last thing before we move on. Uh, I thought the the last line of our note here about her saying amateurs can't beat online poker anymore, and it felt she felt bad promoting it as if they could. That was yeah, kind of, that was kind of well, poignant. I, I think probably I kind of uh, shortened the, the description there, but I, I think what she said, she, obviously as a Team Poker Stars pro, her job is to promote the brand and get more people playing on Poker Stars, and she was having trouble reconciling in her mind the fact that she just didn't. She, she thought she was bringing players in the game that would have a really tough time being able to co- compete there, yeah. and, uh, and that's difficult. You know, hey, it's just like us with the, the magazine. I'm like, you know, uh, when somebody calls me up and wants to buy an ad from us, and I know their ad is not going to be successful and they can't afford it, uh, I try to talk them out of it because I don't want to be in that spot where I'm taking somebody's money. That I don't think it's going to be good for him. Now it's a different story when you're playing at the table. You know, <laughs> we talked about that in the last week's show with one of our listeners. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm trying not to take my friend's money, but uh, but you do have a choice, and you have a choice to walk away from being in a spot where you feel like you have, where you're essentially pimping out people for things yeah. that they they're good at. So yeah. I'll give her some respect for that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, again, you're still adults. You know, it goes back to that conversation last week. They're adults. If they want to play online and you're the one that got them there, they're still adults. They still had to make that decision. But I can see what she's saying. It's just, you know, you well, play for yeah, pennies online, you, too, if you want. You kind of look at the difference between, like, a Barry Greenside, who, you know, is is filling out his obligations to Team Poker Stars play, play money games, right? Yeah. Um, and finding that it's there's something interesting about them and enjoyable, even though you don't think they are on the outside. So it's not necessarily you're bringing people into this fold if you think they're going to fail. I mean, you, you can make it fun for them. You can advertise it and market it to them in a, in a way that doesn't put them at risk. Obviously, you can't control what they do after they get on, whether they decide to, to jump into to real money at one point, which is obviously what poker stars would want them to do. But uh, it is all in, all in the sales pitch, but uh, but but I can understand that. So um, and uh, certainly wish her luck. And uh, I'm sure we haven't heard the last of her, so right. she'll be some point. I'm sure. Yeah. All right. So moving on to another pro. A lot of pro news here at the beginning of the new year. Uh, Daniel Duarno, one of the most successful tournament players in the world, posted on his blog that he has lost money in tournaments each of the past two years. But don't cry too much for him, he's, Chris. He's still up nearly $9 million over the past five years. Yeah. Uh, but I thought this is interesting because this does show the, the variance involved even when you're one of the best players in the world. And uh, there are very few tournament players that are better than Dan, Daniel Negradio. And obviously he built up a, a, a nice little bankroll over these last couple of years, uh, over the last five years. But the last two years in particular, he has been down. And you have to be able to deal with those swings even when you're one of the best players in the world. So imagine amateurs like us. I mean, it's ridiculous. One of the things that he he talks about is how 
They're high roller buy-ins. Dude, that's what's killing him. You know, he, I saw the average buy-in, I think, when it, it also accounted for travel and food and whatever. But the average buy-in of his tournaments was $40,000. Right. That's the average. When, like, once-in-a-lifetime stuff for us is 10000 and that's not even going to happen for us. You know, the, the $1,500 event I entered and the $1,000 event you entered, that was, like, once-in-a-lifetime. Forty times that was his average. So, but again, he can win more too. That, I'm not saying that this is not there. I'm just saying it's it's interesting. And this right, is but why forced to win more though. Right. Yeah, he's right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, only about ten to twelve percent of people that are tournament get money back. So, yeah. So the buy-in's bigger, so the payout's bigger, but you still have to cash. So, yeah. I mean, I can sit there at a roulette table <laughs> and I could put five dollars down, or I could put ten thousand dollars down, and so. You know, the ten thousand dollars is gonna pay more, but if I lose, it's gonna put a lot of big hurting on me. So uh I certainly understand what he says in that regard. Yeah, it's it's why I brought up earlier it's amazing you don't see more people doing what Vanessa Selp's doing because the travel involved, the overhead involved, the buy ins involved, the swings involved. Yeah. So he won nine million, but he lost almost two over those two years and you combine the first year and then this this last year he was almost break even. Yeah, but with break even right. But that um, doesn't include travel and all that as well, too. It also doesn't include his his uh, endorsement. Money. Yeah. So, you know, again, not a lot of reason to cry for him here. But in terms of, I mean, but again, if you're talking about us, amateur players, right, we don't right. have uh, endorsement money to fall back on. You know, the money we put on the poker table is the money we had to put on the poker table. So right. if we are losing poker player for that year and we want to continue playing, then we got to take money from somewhere else. And that's where you run into risk when you say, hey, you know, I have a bankroll here, but now the bankroll isn't supporting me, so now i got to take the mortgage money to play. Yeah. Um, also, when you think about, I'm sure that he's doing well at the cash games. You know what I mean? So it's because he's a great cash game. He's probably a better cash game player. So it's like, why travel... You don't have to because he wants to win that big $8 million paycheck like he did before at that big uh, one drop or whatever. And it's like, okay, so that's in Vegas. You live in Vegas. So just play the Vegas events and stay home and play cash games. Well, you know? I think this is kind of the the issue that we talked about with Vanessa Soaps. Um, and, and she's fine giving up that part of her life. Um, that part I don't think Daniel's ready to do that so uh, kind of the pressure and I think that's what he, he, he remarked uh, most telling to me about the fact that the buy-ins are getting bigger is that you, you could choose not to play them if you don't want to uh, but if you are a player who, who who makes significant income off being in the public poker eye you're kind of forced to right right so you know, if you, you're forced to try to go for World Series Player of the Year, you're forced to go for a World Poker Tour Player of the Year, and that requires traveling and playing at all these tournaments and the bigger buy-ins as well, too. Um, and what I think is really interesting about this is that there was a, um, a newspaper article a couple of days ago that was interesting talking about how we all love the $5 footlog at Subway and the dollar menus at the fast food restaurants, right? But it's a race to the bottom. You know, everybody's trying to undercut each other to to get cheaper and cheaper. And eventually, at some point, you can't get any cheaper, right? Right. (laughs) You still got got to pay for the the bread and the the lettuce and the meat and the employees. So uh, there's a real risk that these fast food restaurants are going to teeter on bankruptcy as hard, hard as that is to imagine because it's a race to the bottom. Here, we're talking about a race to the top, right? Yeah. So, 
you know, every year the mines get bigger and bigger because, you know, somebody out there decides, oh, it's not worth paying. $10,000 doesn't get the juices going anymore. We need a $50,000 buy-in. Okay, well, that's not getting the juices anymore. Now it's 100000 Now it's a million dollars. And uh, so this race to the top. And if you win one of those, you're set. But like we mentioned, most people don't cash to those. So there's a lot of losers. And that's a lot of money that's moving to one person's or a couple of people's bank accounts. Um, and, you know, again, if you take take your, your whole game group, right? There's 10 of you. And within a half an hour at the table, you've busted everybody at the table. Guess what? Everybody goes home. That's right. <laughs> because they always got any money to play with you. So <laughs> now you can't play. And so that's just that's a bummer in the in your home. But if you go to your local poker room and you've won all the money and there's nobody else to play there, now your poker room has to go out of business. So um, it's a very interesting economic study in, in poker and, and the fact that this race to the top and the pressure it's putting on all the pros that we like to watch. Yeah, and it's interesting that both news items are poker stars people. Well, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, poker stars has most of the people, but. Um, okay, any updates? Poker venues across North America will be participating in our Restock the Shelves Food Bank Initiative with Blue Shark Optics all this month. Venues hosting events this week include Derby Lane in Florida on January 5th to the 7th and Orangeville Poker Tour in Ontario on January 6th with month-long promotions at Pearl River Resort in Mississippi, Daytona Beach Kennel Club in Florida, and Seneca Casino Niagara in New York. For more details on all of the events, please visit com slash restock. TGT Poker and Racebook in Tampa, Florida will be hosting an Annie Up Poker Tour set sail series from January 10th through February 10th with six tournaments uh, with buy-ins of $20 or $50 each, awarding two Annie Up Poker Cruise packages for the March 8th sailing out of Tampa. In addition, the winner of the final tournament will appear on the cover of our March issue uh, in Annie Up. Players can win their way into the tournaments during the Beat the Boat promotion every Tuesday through Saturday, starting at 1 p.m. Also, if you haven't, uh, if you have a hand of the week or a listener spotlight or a call the floor submission, email us at podcast at any podcast. Is that a, is that a word? We should have one of those uh, redirects for people who write podcasts by accident. Podcast, yeah. <laughs> email us at podcast at anyupmagazine or post in the Anyup fans group on Facebook. Yeah, you had a little Pavlodian thing when you read that. You were going right into the, uh, if you haven't won anything. Yeah, if you haven't won anything, I know. Yeah. <laughs> What's the wording of it? it just My mind just slips right into it. It's because you're so worried about coming up with a different word than cool that actually would be cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say unique or exciting this time. Here we go. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something very exciting. This week's fresh. <laughs> we send them something fresh. Something fresh. This week's prize is a setup of J Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Antiup Poker Cruises, available at classicplayingcards.com. Comes from Al Lee. Otherwise, if I said too fast, it'd be Allie. I don't yeah. know to say it. So he said, I've heard Chris recommend a standard opening raise with a premium hand so as to not telegraph the hand strength. Problem is, in the casino tournaments I play, a standard raise is almost always called by suited connectors, any pair, any ace-x hand, and any two Broadway cards. Thus, with a standard raise, I usually get to share the flop with two to six players. Not good. A larger preflop raise will eliminate the jokers and shoe clerks, to quote Norman Chad, 
and possibly prevent my aces, kings, or queens from getting cracked by the player with 4-5 or five suited that was, quote, priced in. With a bigger raise, at worst, everybody folds. At best, I get one or two calls and reduce the probability of going down in flames with my big hand, which seems to happen quite often. Now, I need to step in, say that I've emailed Al, <laughs> and I never recommend a standard opening raise. What I say is, make all of your raises the same, as to not as to disguise the strength of your hand. And whatever standard at the table, if that's what you make the raise to, because we're talking about like in the hand of the week or something, because that's what you want, you want to make a standard raise. Now, if I'm getting information from the person submitting the hand of the week that says standard raises don't narrow the field, then I would say, well, I want to narrow the field. I will make it more, but bigger, but right. still standard. But still make it standard or at least consistent. consistent. So consistent. if I'm raising with Ace Ace and I'm raising the twelve dollars, then when I have six eight, you know, offsuit and I'm fooling around, I still need to raise the twelve dollars because I don't want them to say, oh, you know, the only time he raises the twelve is when he has aces. So you know, that's what I say. If when I say an open standard opening raise about hand of the week. That's because we have no other information to go on. That's pretty much what the table is doing. That's what you do. But the minute you raise more than you normally are raising with because you have big hands, you're you're dead. You're dead in the water. That's all I want to yeah. say. You've essentially turned your head face off. But that was the uh, the argument I gave now is that uh, I understand. I understand you don't want to go to a flop with six players for these hands. But if you are raising only with those hands really big, now you're going to have to – you're you're putting yourself at risk of somebody who's paying attention, and maybe they don't pay attention in this game. If they're paying attention, they now know exactly what you have, and if the flop comes and it's coordinated, now they can really put you to a test because they know what you have, and you have no idea what they have. So, um, so I think you you really nailed it right when you say, hey, if the standard raise, so let's say it's ten bucks just to have a number, right? If that number is not thinning the field. If you still have six players going, now you need to make that raise bigger. And you want to do that with even your your worst hands, right? Yeah. Because even with your worst hands, you don't want a lot of people in there. Unless you're playing, obviously, suit connectors and set mining. At that point, you're probably not raising at all. You're probably trying to get it as cheap as possible. But uh, start making that raise bigger for everything. And then as long as it's consistent, then you're still doing what we're recommending. And now you're probably going to do better because... You're going to thin that field down to two players or three players every single time you enter a pot, not just with aces and kings and queens. Yeah, here's the thing, too, is if a lot of people are calling, then you should be playing a lot more hands. You know, you should be playing suited connectors because you're going to get the odds now. You're getting five or six guys in there. If you get six players to every flop, you're getting the odds to play pretty loose hands. You know, not, not that you're not looking for this advice, but it's just, you know, I mean, if you're getting five or six people to each flop, you know, playing four or five is 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 you know beneficial. It's profitable probably. You know, because now you're going to start flopping hands that you know can be disguised, or you can have the right odds to draw out on them. And so I don't know, I, I, but definitely, if whatever raise you find narrows the field, that's the raise you need to make. The downside of that is, is that every time you're raising with hands, you know that mu- that much money you're losing that much more money too if you're missing the flop if you're doing it with like ace king right. but obviously this game is playing bigger than it normally should yeah. so you have to accept that and and maybe this is uh he didn't say the stakes i mean maybe he's playing a two five and it's playing too big now because yeah 
you know, he was racing at 25 and now we're recommending he raised a 45 or 50. And that's the case. Maybe you bump down to one, three and where you could play more comfortably with that. But, um, but the other thing I think it illustrates too, is, you know, what, once I learned about the standard raise and started doing that and see how it works, um, one of the adjustments you have to make is that, um, you can't go balls to the wall with your aces, kings, and queens on every hand, right? You have right. to understand that you, you give up a little value with the uh, consistency, and therefore you might have to lay these hands down from time to time. You can't play them all the way through every single time you have them. And I know that's difficult for some people because they get excited. I get excited when I get these hands too, but you also have to learn to lay them down when uh, the information dictates that. And that is a risk you have to take. So, you know, the goal is not to win every pot when you have these. The goal is to win the most chips over the session. So, you know, sometimes with this consistent raise, you're going to make more with your 4-5 suited than you would otherwise, obviously. And... Maybe from time to time you're going to have to let fold down aces and kings and queens and not get a little bit of value that he mentioned. You know, the bigger raise, the worse everybody folds. Well, that is pretty bad. <laughs> but I have aces, kings, and queens, the worst scenario, uh, or the well, I should say the worst scenario, but it's a pretty bad scenario when, when all you do is pick up the blinds. Yeah. So. yeah. Hey, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com, and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. I'm wondering if I should stop saying podcast at com after I've already said it five or six times. Nope. Repetition, or, so, repetition, repetition. It's not like we have the uh, the segment thing that our one of our listeners listened to asking for last week. He's like, hey, can we just fast forward to the hand of the week? You should be able to... You know, Maybe I, you know, I don't think people were actually like scanning through to the call of the floor and have no idea how to reach us at podcast@antiopmagazine dot com. But what was that email I just gave? I, 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 something like podcast podcast at antiopmagazine dot com. Something wrong with repetition. All right, this is from William Lotti. He says during a tournament with late registration open, the other table loses a player and calls for the next big blind at my table, which is me. I stand up and start to rack my chips. The dealer at my table starts the next hand, dealing me out. I turn around to go to the other table, and they say, Never mind. The C I was going to go to has been sold, and they no longer need another player. The floor ruled that I'd be treated as though I just sat down at the table, and so I'd have to wait for the button to pass to come back in. Elliot says, You didn't say if you were made to post a big blind after the button passed. If you weren't, then you managed to get out of paying a big blind every while what else had to pay. Not a good remedy, even if the dealers were running the tournament. Once you were made to move and dealt out, you needed to be moved to the other table to take the first available big blind with a corresponding player moved to the previous table to do the same thing. Why are the dealers in charge of balancing the tables, but someone else entirely separate is responsible for selling new entries? And why is that person completely unaware of the state of each table? If tables need to be balanced during the late entry peer- period, then the new players need to be seated by the tournament director and in a random fashion as outlined in TDA rules. Up until the time the poker tournament software can smoothly and seamlessly handle the movement of players and the selling of late entries, that either the tables don't get balanced and new entries get seized aside by software, or the tables balance and late entries get seated by tournament directors. What happened to you should not have happened. Yeah. Sounds good, right? Yeah, I'm going to suspect that this this happens in a a smaller room, and... um, you know, you got the challenge there, which we've talked about on the show before. Of you want in smaller rooms, you want to get as many people into the tournament as possible to build that prize pool up. 
but because you don't have a lot of people starting out, you've got only, uh, let's say, two two tables you can start with. And you don't want uh, to set up five tables and have three people playing at each of them, right? So the, the, the challenge becomes if, if one of those tables gets short, which is what happened here, now you got players arguing about balancing, um, and I've seen a lot of compelling arguments from. In fact, actually, Matt Savage actually asked about this. So what's what's the disadvantage in being one person off of the balance every time? But some people are like, oh my god, they've got eight and we've got six. Yeah, the world's gonna end. No, it's not. Relax. But uh, but because players are very intuitive on that, they want those players those tables to be balanced at all times, and. Um, and in a small room, this is probably what happens: is you don't have communication as to who's buying it, and now you pick somebody up, and now that person sits down, and then now you're William. And they're like, "What happens to me now?" And now he really got the short end of the straw here. Although it depends, it's always supposed to be that big post a blind. He just missed some value in terms of playing hands, but got to save the blinds, which is nice. If he was forced to pay the blinds again. That would be terrible. So. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I don't have to pay. The, if I don't, have, if you don't have to pay the blind, you should be ecstatic. I mean, if you're a big stack, then you're kind of oh, like, well, I'm missing an opportunity. It's but. In a tournament, you know, every time you're not in a hand, you're missing an opportunity to stack someone and knock somebody out and chip up. It's different than a cash game, but you're yeah, also you missing an opportunity be. to go bust too. Right. So, exactly. So, so I'd, yeah, be, yeah. I'd, I'd be ecstatic. <laughs> Plus, the next time I get to play a hand, I'm on the button. So, basically, hey, we get to complete O'Malley's move. Here comes part one. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated at a $1, $2, nine-handed, no-limit hold'em casino cash game. It's been a typical 1-2 game in a casino, with some solid players, some new to the game, and some maniacs. We've been playing for several hours and have doubled our buy-in. More importantly, we've got some good intel on the table and have pegged most players' styles down pretty well. The blinds post, we sit under the gun with $400 and the 10 of spades, 10 of hearts. We raise it up to 15. This is our standard under the gun raise. With so many to act behind us, we want to thin the field and hopefully get heads up. This works like a charm as we get one caller, the cutoff. This player sits with about 250. He borders on the maniacal, but also plays decently solid poker. Once he senses weakness, he goes for the kill. He's gotten away with some bluffs, but has also got caught on occasion. He blew through his first $100 buy-in, but after he bought in for another $100, he's turned a $50 profit for the night. We know this because he hasn't stopped talking about how he's up and earned his profit after taking a bad beat to lose his first buy-in when his queens lost to ace-king for stacks. The pot is $30 after the rake, and the flop is the queen of diamonds, seven of hearts, four of clubs. We don't like the overcard, but we're still going to c-bet this with only one opponent in the hand. We make it $20 to go, and our opponent quickly calls. There's now $70 in the pot, and the turn is the seven of diamonds. We check, and our opponent hesitates before checking behind. There's still around $70 in the pot, and the river is the six of spades. We check once again, and our opponent bets $45 into the $70 pot. What's the move? Easy call for me here. I, I like how we played this hand. We kept the pot small with a hand that is likely to be good here. We've also been told that this player likes to strike when he senses weakness. 
and we clearly showed some weakness here. Uh, I think it's an easy call, too, and here's why. He checked the turn. Uh, right. If he had a queen, he would bet there. Even a random seven, I think, bets there. So I think we're all good. Let's uh, Let's call. Hello again. The check on the turn makes me think this guy doesn't have a queen and most likely doesn't have us beat. I'm not sure exactly what range to put him on, but knowing his game, I think aces through jacks raises our pre-flop raise, and we probably get raised on the flop with ace-queen or king-queen. I guess it could be some kind of seven, but I highly doubt it. I'm not confident enough to raise, but this just smells a little too fishy to get me to fold. We call. Our opponent scoffs at our call and tables the ace of clubs, jack of clubs. We table our tens. He says something about us being a calling station and how he can't wait to stack us while we move on to the next hand. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying sometimes a simple call can feel oh so good. I hope to see you on the phone. I love when players who don't understand the story they are telling me calling me call me a calling station. Uh, nice detective work on this one, O'Malley, and I think you're going to keep stacking him and not the other way around. That's a good call, and Mal agrees with me, so that's always good. I have, I have no problem with that. Nice call. But it's a great illustration of a guy thinks, hey, just because I bet a lot here, you should fold. Yeah. And then if you get a good player, it's like, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, you bet big here, but what does that bet big bet mean? And I don't believe you, so I'm going to call. That doesn't make you a calling station. That makes you a good player. So if you can't sell the store, you should uh, open the book. Yeah, absolutely. This is Daniel Negreanu of FullContactPoker.com. You're listening to Anti-Up. All right, it's time for the AdvancedPokerTrading.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to, gosh, what is that email address? We really should put that on all the notes so we don't forget. I think it's podcast at antiupmagazine.com, but I, I could be wrong. But Well, you know, your, your stuff knows makes it sound like I said podcast. It's not a podcast. It's a pod. No one knows where to send it to because you said podcast and I said podcast. What's a podcast anyway? <laughs> and if you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to advance poker trading, the world's number one poker trading site. And we got a situation this week from Steve Seagal. Yes. And I am going to resist the temptation to make a Steven Seagal joke here because we do that every time he writes it, and it's probably getting old. So, it's hard uh, to kill. I'm not going to make that joke, but you can go ahead and go for the cheap laugh if you want. I already did. I said it's hard to kill. <laughs> you didn't even hear it. Is it stuffy in your head, too, making I hear things? Come on. Oh, man. I'm sorry. I was dealing with that fire down below. So, Oh, jeez. Jeez. <laughs> You're killing me. I feel like I'm under siege now. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, all right. So Steve Seagal uh, went to uh, he says he went to Atlantic City, Philly uh, this past weekend. Uh, fun trip and a uh, good combination of Atlantic City for pure gambling and one day in Philly for combo, great food and poker. And uh, we got put in, uh, we got put into a new table and been playing for about two hours when this hand occurred. Uh, he doesn't say the stakes, but it's a cash game. Uh, he says, I'm in early position with the king of spades, king of clubs. And it's a situation, but we'll play it like a hand that we get until we get to the situation part. How's that? Uh, all right. I guess. I mean, we're on deadly ground here, so. I, don't... <laughs> <laughs> I think by the end of the hand, we're going to be out for justice, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's. 
Sorry, sorry. Uh, okay, so we have King King. We're raising, and we're raising the standard amount. How's that sound? Isn't that going to telegraph our hands? <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to guess he's at a one-two or one-three table here because he raises a thirteen, and I know Steve is a good player, so he is making that standard raise. So that's what he does: is thirteen dollars. Because if you I made it got- more, you'd be marked for death. Oh my gosh! If I only had IMDb up here, I could play. Uh, I've exhausted all my Steven Seagal references here. All right, that's all I got. Oh man! All right, so uh, the guy to my left who has a hundred dollars behind is an Asian guy and shoves for eighty dollars. And uh, oh, oh shoot! I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Oops! So forget I said that. Oh man! Guy Just to my like left. you. As soon as a guy to the left of both both paragraphs, that's where I got confused. Okay. All right, guy to my left, a pretty tight regular who rebought once on a cooler calls. Uh, the guy across the table who is described as the typical quote crazy Asian. That's why we have the Asia the you know typecasting going on. So uh, calls as well too. Uh, he says that player arrived about ten minutes prior, so I have no idea how he plays. Uh, besides seeing him play four or five hands so far after sitting down. Guy to his left called as well, too, who's uh, described as a super regular, seen up here before, and very much an ABC player. He said stack sizes will be explained after the flop. So if you've already listened to me, you'll know what some of them are. But we have uh, one, two, uh, four players going to the pot here, right? Okay. Uh, $55 of the pot, and the flop is the deuce of spades, tray of hearts, seven of spades, and we are first act. Uh, I, I'm just going to bet like 35 bucks, 40 bucks. Okay. Yeah, this is a for us, right? We, yeah. we don't, they get our king, which is the beauty, uh, but a lot of low cards. And because we raise, we theoretically think we could fit out those little cards. Obviously, somebody could have been sitting around pocket sevens, but uh, that's really the only thing that would concern me too much. So this is a pretty good flop. And uh, a couple spades out there, some straight possibilities. So I would uh, want to be sure that people are paying a bad price to get there, right? I think so. Yeah, I might even go forty on this. Yeah, I think I said that thirty-five to forty. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I definitely go forty. I, I could even go maybe bet the pot here, go fifty, fifty-five even because because oh, uh, it's a wet board. Coordinated the board is that we have so many players in, so I really yeah. want folks to. Uh, and if somebody wants to shove on me with a draw here, that's great. Uh, I will, I will make them pay for that as well. Okay, I'm going to make an executive decision. <laughs> I'm going to oh, say, nice one! Let's nice bet one. the pot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if I didn't have to read the hand of the week, I would be studying and I'd have more because I know there are more out there, but that's all right. I'll let you have your moment today. Well, I know you were born to raise hell, so. <laughs> uh, you think you're above the law, but. I... He really has a pretty amazing career, hasn't he? <laughs> it's amazing how many freaking movie, movie titles have death, kill. <laughs> they, they don't have under the word. It's amazing. Oh, man. All right, so anyway, yeah, I might bet pot because you're right. It's so coordinated. I mean, the problem with that is that a lot of these people would, wouldn't call with baby pairs, and now they flopped a set, and we're just digging a hole for ourselves. But yeah, at this I point, mean, you are going to want to deter, for one street, deter. Every flop to possibility, three people flopped a set. That's so true. You, know, you can't, you can't uh, get too worked up about that. So that I'm more worried about the other stuff that they could flop, and, you know, because there are times when we flop sets and we get paid off, so, you know, it's... You know, scratch my back, scratch your back thing. So, right. Um, all right. 
And, uh, and of course, it, it probably depends on what the stacks are, which he's going to get to here in a minute. So that might change things a little bit because that might force people into the pot or out of the pot. But, but with the information we have now, I like I like a big pot size bet here and uh, make people try to out bet me here. Okay. All right. Uh, here says it seems innocuous enough for me, and I lean out for a decent sized bet of thirty five, which normally would be fine. But as we discussed, I think it needs to be bigger. So I guess we'll find out what happens here. Um, stop me if you heard this before. But the guy to my left, who has a hundred dollars behind, as the Asian guy shoves for eighty, mm. and the regular player shoves on top for two hundred, uh, and we have four hundred. Yeah, it looks like it's back to us. So I guess it was only yeah, four-handed. That's right. Or three-handed. Right? I got to tell you, uh, in this spot, I'm laying it down. I really am laying it down. I know people are going to – maybe won't go crazy. It's a catch game. You can rebuy in and everything. Um, but you know what? I've been pistol-whipped before. <laughs> oh, my God. Now we get really obscure. <laughs> so uh, my code of honor tells me that I should fold. Wow! Let's fold only because here's the deal: you got one guy shoving. If you're stereotyping, you're saying, "Well, that's a flush draw, straight draw." If you're just thinking, "Hey, that's what people do anyway," it's just a regular shove for a draw. But to get someone else to go over the top of that, now he could have eights or tens or something. Hold on, let me pause too. I don't think it's going to change what you're saying, but I realize there's a comma missing here. So okay, there are. Uh, the guy to my his left who has a hundred behind called, and then the Asian guy shoved for eighty, and then the regular shoves on top for two hundred. Yeah, so you got a call, a shove to that oh, call, so raise, that guy could be raise an under call, and then another raise. That's a shove. Yeah, After better thirty five. Yeah, so I mean the the shove of eighty, he's getting great odds to now just try to make his draw, if he's got one. The other guy who's willing to shove for 200, knowing we have 400 in the back, and we've let out after raising preflop, it could be a C-bet, but we could also be saying, hey, we've got a big pair. He's not afraid of that. So to me, it certainly feels like it could be a set. It could just as easily be nines, you know? And i got to really, really dig deep and say, you know, hey, what does this guy actually have? Do I believe this guy? That he has a better hand than than kings right now. If I don't believe it, then I may just reshove. Um, or because if I just call, I don't know how much I, the guy has two hundred. So yeah, there's no one left. You know, I might as well just call and. Oh, and no, the guy after us still has a hundred behind. Yeah, so. yeah, but there's already a shover two hundred. The other two people are already in. What yeah, grade? so the two hundred behind. If, if I call it two hundred, the other guy has to go all in anyway. So yeah, the effective uh, effective effective stack effective. is two hundred. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I've got. 35 in this plus the pre-flop raise. I only got like 50 bucks in this pot. And there's 280 plus the 35 on top of that. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I call. I'd have to get a real good feeling of, of what this reshove has. I got a, I got a feeling that the 80 is a, is a draw. Um, but the fact that the guy shoved over that and all the information he has, if he's any kind of player, and I've gotten the impression that he is a player, I don't know if he's doing that to get me out or if he's doing that because he knows he could beat whatever I have, too. So I'd make that decision, then I would do it. But I feel like I'm leaning toward a fold, believe it or not. Yeah, this is kind of one of those hands, I think, that separates the good players from the great players. And I am clearly a good player. I am not a great player. <laughs> um, so I think you got to start trying to figure out 
the, the sequence here, I think, is important as well, too. I mean, on the surface, I don't like a single overpair in a four-way pot, right? Which right. is goes back to our uh, listener spotlight, you know. You know, I made the standard raise and I got two to six players in there. So, uh, but that's what we're, we're still up against here. I mean, we're not thinning the field. If anything, the, the, the guy after us might fold here, but that's it. The other two are already all in. Um, so the person that acted after us just called. That to me seems like a draw, uh, which could be spades, uh, could be a straight, but that's, we were in early position. So that's really loose on that guy's play. Uh, plus, he describes a pretty tight regular. So, um, I, I got to think he's got some kind of spades. Um, and at that point, he's probably not going to call. I, I would think he would call with all this action. So, I'm going to assume he's out. But So, that means we are in for 200. Uh, we never know what these, what he calls, quote, crazy Asian players. You know, I mean, they play a lot of hands, so they could have... You could have deuce tray. You could have seven deuce. You could have seven tray. All hands that have us beat right now, or it could be nothing. He could uh, have a gut shot straight. That makes a lot more sense. I mean, I don't, I don't think he would shove with nothing here because uh, he's got to think that we're going to call right. That, that's a 2014 yeah. movie from Steven Seagal, Gut Shot Straight. Sorry, <laughs> didn't think you would know that, so I had to. I uh, did it. It occurred to me at the point. I'm like, I'm sure that's a movie. He also has a movie called The Asian Connection. Just so you know, I didn't use that oh one at all. Perfect. <laughs> uh, really, though, uh, yeah, one's on a draw. I, I got to put that guy on something. The eighty with something, right? I mean, it could be. It could just be top pair. Yeah. Could, uh, but that's probably our best case scenario. So, but I'm not so much worried about him now because now we got more money in the pot. So the, now the, the the profitable play comes from getting the other 120 from the other guy that's in, and if the other guy comes along. Um, but if, uh, if we know that's 120, we lose, so we'll make 120 after the 80. We still make a profit on this if we beat the overshove guy, right? So so now we really got to figure out what he has. At that point, I mean, that, that could be a set of sevens. It could, also, it could also be a lot of things, though, I think. He could now say, hey, there's a lot of money trapped in here. Uh, I think that... We being uh, Steven Seagal, <laughs> Steve Seagal, <laughs> we're just seabedding, and now that we raise again, uh, we have to worry about the guy behind us, so maybe he'll get both of those to fold, and then he's heads up with the $80 guy. He gets to take the uh, dead money, and then all oh, he has to be that guy. That That's a power play. I think that could happen. Yeah. Um, but it just seems like there's a lot going on here. And in a tournament, I might think different, but in a cash game, we got another hand coming. So I think ultimately I'm going to fold, but I would not be surprised if we have the best hand here. Uh, less likely, uh, I would be more surprised if we had the best hand by the end of this hand. But um, it, it seems to me that, you know, there's there's too much going on here for me to call my king. So although we do have the king of spades, so but oof. That's looking for a reason to call, I think, right? Yeah, it's funny how everything is relative. Imagine now, let's just imagine the whole scenario all over again, except you're up like 1,200 on the day, and you're just you're running really good, and you look down at this hand, and you're like, you know what, I got an overpair. I got the king of spades for backdoor flush, which I've been watching a little more of the high-stakes stuff on TV. Yeah, people um, play it. Yeah, and a lot of times the guy who's doing the, the commentating, Nick, uh, what's his name, is saying... Uh, you know, he's got the backdoor flush draw, you know, and he says that a lot. Like he'll talk about runner runner stuff and considers those in his thoughts. And 
So that's what I'm thinking to myself is, you know, if I had a ton of money in front of me and the night's almost over and I know I can only lose 120 on this or 200 on this and I'm still going to be up a grand for the night, I might take a, a flyer here and say, screw it, let's just call and make it a huge night or just a really good night, you know? Yeah, it is a feel. It is a feel call. Here. Yeah, it's a feel call. So to me, I could go either way on it. I just feel like a fold is in order. You know, a lot of times when they send in these hands of the week or these situations, it's usually the worst outcome. And it's like if he folds, then the guy had nothing. And if he calls, the guy has a set and you're drawn to two. So it's just uh, you never you never know what these things. I, I would have to be a feel. So the way I'm feeling from the reading of this and the way it's been presented to me, I think I'm folding. If I was at the table and I got some other signals or depending on the situation I'm in, if I've got 1200 in front of me and it's going to cost me one sixty-five more to win all that, and maybe win more or whatever. I don't know. So, because like you said, we still have another guy in the hand who might even now also shove. You saw that hand on on the Annie Up fans page the other day that Mark posted Gambit. It was like four all ins in the tournament, and the tournament ended on all all four all ins. So it could happen that this hundred dollar guy now calls the all in too because how much money's in the middle? It's only going to cost him like sixty-five or hundred more. So, yeah. I don't know, I, I, but I think I'm folding. Let's let's move on. All right, let's see. Uh, all right, here says I have 400. Here's what's going through my mind. I have the king of spades, so bye bye ace king, king queen, king jack, king ten suited, ace queen suited as possible, or ace x spades, and of course a set. No chance of two pair. Okay, very small chance of deuce tray suited or something. Uh, I like call, shove, and reshove. Oh, I like call, shove, and reshove. How could I be good here? What would uh, he do that with? Just an overpair. Uh, he would three bet queen, queen to ace, ace. I'm highly doubtful that he would make a play with eight, eight, or jack, jack with me and the other player to act. So I'm stuck with ace, x suited, or a set. After much deliberation, I folded and a board ran out. With a queen on the turn, a blank on the river, and no spades. And the guy took it with ace, queen of spades. Uh, what? Uh, guy to my left folded, and the Asian didn't show. So there was this, probably a smaller flush draw. <laughs> and then the ace, queen had the nut flush draw, and he hits the queen to win when your kings would have held up. See, that's what I'm saying. That's why when these hands of the week come in, it's always the worst scenario so if he folds you know he would have won and if he calls he would have lost that's basically what happens um and that's why they send it in because they want to know if we do something different to me i don't think it's a bad fold no no it's it's not it's It's really not because if the guy turns a spade you know because you're up against all these possible draws now if they all have the same draws and they're hurting each other with outs and you probably should call but we don't know what the other guy could have. Could it's have probably what happened here. I mean, there's probably another, like you said, there's probably a smaller spade draw. Um, maybe there is a straight draw. Um, obviously, the set was not there that we thought. Obviously, two pair wasn't there like we thought might have been possible. I am kind of. I, I did think he dismissed two pair too easily with this many people, but uh, but those things weren't there. So, I mean, I, other than uh, draw heads. I mean, the only thing else I can think of is like an ace seven. Yeah, right? he had the seven and the ace of spades. Oh, no, the other guy had the ace of spades because yeah. he's spades. So, yeah, yeah. like seven, God, that's kind of weird. Um, but, but again, that that's a spade, so which becomes a draw. So, um, wow, just a lot of loose play here. So, that that to me, 
I'd be upset that I, I lost this. I mean, I folded his hand and lost it, but I got a ton of information from this table, I think, from this hand. Yeah. So hopefully I put that to use and uh, continued to build up my stack the rest of the night, which is the way that you got to think about it, I think. You know, you can't go back and, and call when you didn't call, and you can't go back and fold when you called and were wrong. So you got to take the information you got and then, like, seeds and plant it and reap a new crop from it. So I got to tell you, too, I do not – uh, I do not fault the shove, reshove guy. That was a great play because he has a nut flush draw, two over to the board, and he's got a feeling probably that the guy who put 80 in the middle probably was on a shove for a a, a, a draw. On a draw that's yeah. worse than his. Yeah, yeah, worse than his. So even if it was a straight draw, you have a better draw because you have flush, you have more outs, and you have two overs. So if his draw doesn't get there and he has a baby pair, you still hit your two overs. If he has no pair, your ace-queen could win on its own without even pairing. Exactly, he's going to yeah, get us yeah. out. So... The only danger is that if we're not an educated player and we just say, oh, I got kings, I'm going to call, and don't think about it, then that ace-queen is kind of, now it has to hit the ace well, of spades. Yeah, this is kind of what we talked about, is that uh, I'm not surprised that he shoved with that hand either, and that that was well within his range there. But at that point, then we have to make a decision on whether we want to, you know, play for his stack, not our stack, but play for his stack, uh, knowing that we have a draw. Now, if we also deduced that the the asian guy had the draw as well too which seems likely now now it's it's a little bit easier to make that call for us because that means they they two of the outs for both of them are out yeah um and then at that point i don't know what the guy in the middle has i mean it's almost improbable for three people to be on spades there but i could bet i guess so um but that that's the right play for that guy at the end there because now he has to as you mentioned, he has to get better hands out. If he gets better hands out, his chances of winning are, are better, even if he doesn't hit. And then he ended up hitting at some point. didn't hit what he wanted, but he hit enough. So that's a good play, I think. So Yeah, I agree. Should I make one more Seagal joke? Or... <laughs> no, I'm not Might gonna. as well. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to leave it alone. But, uh, yeah, I think a, 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 there's no harm in a good fold. You know, I mean, I, I to me, it just as easily could have been somebody has a set, and somebody reshoved with the set. You know, uh, very easily. So I don't feel bad about that fold. You feel bad about the money, but that's results oriented. You don't want to do that, right? Exactly. All right. I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. <laughs>